0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Rugby podcast from Sport for Business. Our theme is to talk one-to-one with those who are making a difference off the field of play in the sport. This is one of a number of series we produce looking at the business of golf, the business of racing, the business of football, sports leadership, and many more. If you like the sound of that, then you can find out more at sportforbusiness.com. And of course, subscribe or like our podcasts wherever you get yours. This Business of Rugby podcast is supported by our friends at Bank of Ireland, who are long-term partners of each of the four proud provinces of Ireland and are themselves creating significant impact on the well-being of the sport. This second interview in the first series of The Business of Rugby is with Martin Anai. He is the Chief Executive Officer of the United Rugby Championship, and we caught up with Martin in Doha, in Qatar, where Qatar Airways were announcing their partnership with the championships. Martin came on board with the Pro 12, as it was then, back in 2015, and he's played a key role in expanding the tournament into being the bigger version of itself which it certainly seems to be today. The South African clubs have come on board and the tournament itself has been rebranded as the United Rugby Championship. Relationships have been created with Rock Nation. There is a very much more uh, youthful vibe to the competition and he has played a key part in that. It's part of what we talked to Martin about today about the way in which rugby has to come together, has to expand the way in which it promotes itself and has to be brave in terms of being confident enough to go out there in what is, of course, a very competitive sporting environment. So we kick off the interview anyway with Martin in the surroundings of Hamad International Airport in Doha. I hope you enjoy what he has to say and I hope that you enjoy the rest of the interviews in the Sport for Business series. Great, well, we're sitting here in Hamad International Airport with Martin and I. He is the CEO of the United Rugby Championship. The announcement today about the, uh, the, the the coming on board of Qatar Airways with the URC is a very big one and it sort of puts the tournament onto perhaps a more global scale. But we'll come to that. I just want to go back in time a little sure. bit first. Tell us a little bit about your personal story, about your your working in sport and where you've been that has brought you to this day. It's a big question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... So where, I guess where to start. I I played a really a reasonable level of rugby, uh, not to the not to the very highest level, obviously. Um, played for London Welsh for many years. Um, was up at Leeds uh, Tykes as well. Played a lot of my rugby in the Championship or National One. Um, but before that, really just the, just the passion for all sports, whether that's football, tennis. Um, those, those two specifically um, but I'm one of those sporting geeks, I love it all and and Sport was my favourite programme on TV and rugby special was the second, so yeah, it's, it's been a passion of mine and when I was going into my career uh, I knew that you know, I just wasn't going to be the right level as a rugby player to do it uh, as a full time profession um, and so I moved into something that I thought, I'll get into sport one day, but perhaps on the business side of it, and, and became a lawyer. So, <laughs> uh, But through that whole process, I realized there was this company called IMG and Mark McCormack, and he was uh, a lawyer himself originally, and he hired lawyers and accountants, and, and um, they transformed the world of sport in the 60s, 70s, 80s, with Arnold Palmer and Jackie Stewart and Rod Laver and Beyond Board be on board and um I, I kind of thought actually yeah maybe i could go into the into the sports business world and um so that's what i did I, I i became a lawyer qualified and then went over and became uh in-house counsel at img out of london uh and and then from there sort of progressed through and uh took this role in 2015
0: it yeah. was a, a very broad sporting universe really that img was across and i know you were involved in rallying and in a couple of other yeah, different yeah. places when the opportunity came then to make the move into rugby was that just something that you couldn't resist so i was already uh, i was a lawyer for rugby world cup uh, but
1: through uh, through img so i did all their tv contracts and sponsorship contracts and i worked in the 2011 world cup in new zealand um img was an amazing school for business and sport and you know they didn't they didn't want you just to ever be a lawyer they wanted you to be a business lawyer they used mm. to call it and ian todd who again was one of the very senior leaders within img i was really lucky i had people like andrew wildblood ian todd um all within img at that time uh, post um McCormack passing away and ted forceman coming into the business it was just a really great growth time and i was i was their lawyer and i was involved across uh, cricket and the i setting up the ipl and across tennis and you know the uh, and even loosely not not specifically but occasionally on the golf side so we do a wgc event and it was just constantly different and it was brilliant and yeah part of that was rubber world cup and so i i kept i kept my sort of um, passion for rugby going through through that. But yes, after the 2011 World Cup, I then moved to the motorsport division and set up a, a world championship with the FIA called Rallycross. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we managed the Speedway Series. We did, we did just a very entrepreneurial spirit and uh, loved it, thoroughly loved it.
0: When you came over, we were still pro 14 at that point in pro time pro 12 pro 12 yes even yeah, yeah. Uh, how time flies yeah it would have been seen perhaps as a more local mm-hmm. if you're used to working on you know rugby world yeah. cups and everything else it was it was very much a celtic league um was it in your mind that it would be through the expansion of that that would satisfy you from a personal point of view but also obviously yeah. from a sporting perspective?
1: Yeah, because I, I think we had Gerald Davis who was our chairman at the time, who interviewed me, and um, John fian who was CEO at the time of, of Six Nations and Lions, and they were looking at saying, and, and the, the rugby unions owned the Pro 12, and they were looking to say, actually, if we invested in Pro 12 and had it a standalone CEO and standalone management team, could it, could it grow? So, really, I was hired to grow the Pro 12. Um, we were originally looking at the U.S. We opened up that conversation with the U.S. and we, we went quite far down that road. Um, but at the same time, then South Africa as an opportunity came, uh, came up and, and we committed to that angle. And that was with the Toyota Cheetahs from Bloemfurtain from Free State and the Southern King from, from Port Elizabeth. Um, and that became the Pro, Pro team. So it was always expansion was sort of in the mind and, and getting to the point where you could bring in the, the very best South African teams um, in the Sharks, Storms, Lions and Bulls was, was, was really
0: the vision for the competition. Yeah. And having put all of those pieces of the jigsaw right beside each other, just as you go to actually push them mm-hmm. together, we get hit by a global pandemic. What yeah. was it like from an administration point of yeah. view trying to manage in an area where there was no playbook. Nobody had yeah. been down this path before and you were trying to expand globally at a time when the world was shrinking into our front rooms. Yeah, it's a really good point because as,
1: as we were looking
0: to expand, the world was
1: was retracting um, and contracting perhaps. But yeah, I, I, I think it's still... Drew up a lot of opportunity because we said, well, this is a bit of a reset. We we can't play at the moment, but if we do come back, of course, we're going to come back and we're going to. How do we make ourselves more resilient? How do we make the competition better? We've got to look at format, we've got to look at how many teams there are, we've got to look at is there an opportunity for these South African teams who, at that point, were also not playing rugby. Um, So, whilst it was this unbelievable wrench and you know very very difficult and to be honest, even through last season we had uh, some ups and downs with Covid um, we, I think we came back stronger I think we came back as a we, we were reincarnated as a better league because we had four of the best teams in the world we had a better format in my mind we had a league table 1-16 to 16. Uh, we had a straightforward knockouts into quarterfinals semi finals and finals Um, so whilst it was really really tough i think we came back stronger
0: could those changes would those changes have happened without COVID? but maybe you've taken longer yeah i think
1: that's exactly it i think they would have happened at some point because if you think about South African teams it was just becoming very very difficult for them to play in super rugby across those time zones and it was really that simple it wasn't anything more than that the the players were away for such a long period of time and the games were being played out of peak time in South Africa 75% of the time Mm -hmm. whereas now they play in peak time 100% of the time Um, travel is overnight and there's no jet lag and so they stay connected to their families Um, and that's a really key key part of rugby in South Africa is the the family Mm. So I think, to a certain extent, I I believe it was always going to happen once we'd opened the door with the cheaters and the king, but it accelerated through COVID, I think.
0: The the sport has always been very traditional, and when the URC exploded into our consciousness, even taking on, you know, a traditional format in, in the Pro 14, it had an edgier look to it. Mm. The graphics, the the music, the relationship with Rock Nation, yeah. all of these things were something which looked very different to anything that we'd really seen before in rugby. From your point of view, was it difficult? Was it challenging mm. to actually sell that idea yeah. of rugby as being more than 15 against 15 to yeah. you know perhaps maybe some of the more the blazered uh, you know power brokers within the sport?
1: Mm. It's interesting because we, we, did, we did take that approach. We said, you know, we don't want a logo that had a rugby ball in it or posts. We wanted it to
0: be different. We wanted
1: it to be um, hopefully broader in its appeal. We called it United Rugby Championship because we wanted people to feel welcome and inclusive. We had this diversity in the league of cultures and styles and languages and, and we wanted that to become a selling point, not a thing that detracts from it. So, yes, I'm I'm glad you say that, because that's that's exactly what we were setting out to try and achieve, because we didn't want to just be
0: another rugby competition. We wanted to be the best we could be. I read an interview recently with Dana White of the UFC, and he spoke of the, the cultural side of sport, that matching fighters against each other was as much to do with the narrative and the story mm. that you could actually build around it. The the, the sport, URC is a long way away from the UFC, yeah. much further than it is on the alphabet. But that sense of sport and entertainment yeah. coming together, is that something that you really see as being on the on, on the front line of within rugby?
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, I think what they've done... And I, I was at IMG as they was, as WME as it became, was 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 buying UFC. And that was a really interesting uh, ex- case study where the sport itself was relatively new. It had gone through a tremendous period of change, but it was almost exclusively about entertainment about saying, yes, we're going to match up the best fighters versus the best fighters. In boxing, you, you don't get that. One. You get that, but perhaps when they're after their prime, you know. And Dana Dana White took a different approach. He said, no, I'm going to put the best fighters against the best fighters. And people responded to that, I think, you know. And sometimes in rugby, maybe that's the same principle. We have to say the same principles. We don't, we don't necessarily want to choreograph or anything, but can you put the best teams against the best teams uh, in meaningful competition and package it in a way that can not alienate the existing fan but also bring in a new fan that's the challenge is how do you keep the fans as they are don't patronize um, them but also have it open enough a communication point of view to bring a new fan in who doesn't know about rugby who doesn't understand rugby um, but you want them to come to a game and, and then and then come back to another game and, and so on. We're, that is definitely a work in progress. I, I would say from everything from the laws of the game to the way that we wrap it up on TV to the way that we um, broadcast it to the way that fans engage with it at a game can can all be better. You know, and it is better if you go to the US it tends to be a better experience. And so that's something we're trying to. You know use uh, best case examples that we might have if someone does something really good in our league they now share that with others there's a best practice point of view ceo to ceo from the club to club we had the shark ceo ed cutscene do a best practice he had a single shark fest we had like a post game party and a concert so it's just it's just sharing examples of what has worked well with others and then trying to get a consistency where that's something that you can expect from the
0: URC game. That's a real whole of rugby approach, isn't it? That yeah. it can't be just you as one competition, one part of the yeah. of the entire sport, because oh. it's a sport which is you know, limited by geography in terms of there the not being, uh, you know, particular rugby cultures in in many countries around the world. But is the URC potentially going to be? A leader in that in terms of creating these stories proving that this guy will not fall in if we do things a little bit differently and then filtering it back through the sport so that everybody wins
1: yeah and you know,
0: if we can be
1: uh sometimes the the, uh, the way in for a concept to so take root Maybe that names on the back of shirts again take the Sharks as the an example they've now put names on the back of shirts that's common in the premiership but it's not in URC yet it's not, it's not common to put names on the back of shirts at international level yet if I want my kids to know who these players are surely we should be signposting that with their names um, I actually think there's a better role for players to take, to take the game forward if you look at the best competitions in the world the players are stars in their own right and so people gravitate towards personalities. There's more we can do from Access to get cameras behind the scenes like they did with Chasing the Sun in South Africa for the Road to the World Cup, like they did in Formula One with Drive to Survive. So there's lots of aspects of Access, which is free, that we can introduce and create that content and tell that story so that fans who haven't seen a game of rugby uh, we get to know the players and their way in is through, the, through that um, storyline of who that player is and what they're about and therefore take an interest in the game loads more we can do and, and to try honest, the list is as long <laughs> as you can imagine including things like computer game we need a you know a, a computer game that is widely played has an esports component we need to get trading cards out there like panini do with football and the hundred are doing now it's, you, you know you go up to uh, the shell garage and you look to your left hand side as you're paying for your petrol and there's a Premier League football card there's a UEFA football card there's now a Qatar World Cup football card there's a Formula 1 football card there's a 100 football card there's a WWE wrestling football card where's the rugby card? yeah <laughs> where's the rugby card? because our kids are playing in the playground with that trading card knowing who Robert Landowski is and he's moved from you know, Bayern Munich to Barcelona my kids know that and they're seven mm. You know, seven and five. They know that. Do they know that about rugby? No, because we're not giving them enough information. We're not giving them the tools, the the, the fan engagement toolkit for rugby to be as successful as it could be.
0: I hope you're enjoying the conversation. There's plenty more to come as well. I just wanted to say thanks once more to Bank of Ireland, who are our official rugby partners and who make this possible. And also to let you know that if you want to keep up to date and learn more, about the commercial world of sport in Ireland and further afield, you can do that at our website, sportforbusiness.com. We publish a daily bulletin of all of the latest headlines and news as well, and I hope you'll be interested in that. But now, let's get back to Hamad International Airport and to the conversation with Martin and find out his views on rugby's demographic of fans, how the sport is coming together better all the time to actually promote itself And who he would have as his ideal lunchtime companions? The demographic of the rugby fan is probably a little bit older than it would be in other sports, and maybe that's a part of it. Outside of perhaps New Zealand and maybe Ireland, it has perhaps less of a connection. It's more siloed in relation to South
1: Africa too. Yeah, yeah, actually. So I mean, all the information we have, we we gather so much information now. You know, it's good in some parts information overload sometimes yeah. but what the information that we've gathered around south africa and ireland is quite similar it tends to skew more towards women and families than a normal male sport. Mm. normally it's 80 20 male sport. that's quite a common and that is what it is in in wales and in scotland in ireland it's more like 60 40 and south africa is the same mm. from female and and younger demographic and more more family demographic and so between those those two sets of data points you've got a slightly different audience coming and watching games in South Africa and Ireland than you do in Scotland and Wales and Italy so well you're a league that is all of those things Um,
0: we have to think about that and we have we have to act accordingly turning it from exclusive to inclusive yeah 100%
1: I want I want people to come to the game and not feel patronized obviously but know why that decision has been made as an example i want them to come to the game and you know have a good time and have the food they want and not have to queue and and then when they watch the game they stay dry <laughs> you know i want these things but i also want them to understand the game because i think it's one of the best it is the best game in the world bar none. um and at the moment it's sort of a best kept secret <laughs> you mm-hmm. know to those insiders that have played it before and so on and that's how I got into American football in the NFL wasn't I've never played the game of American football but I played the Madden game when I was a kid and and now I watch the behind the scenes uh, documentaries hard knocks all or nothings uh, and of course what do I then do I then play fantasy and I watch watch games of the, of the NFL so if that is my journey into a contact sport I didn't play perhaps that's also a route in that we can bring a whole bunch of new fans that maybe didn't, haven't
0: played the sport into the game of rugby union You said we and we've spoken about rugby as a, a whole of sport initiative um, are you collaborating much better now with the different yeah. parts from international to club from uh, you know EPCR to URC yeah. is, it, is it different now to where it was even back in 2015? Yeah, I mean, you
1: know, from, right through from sharing office space with one another to weekly calls with Six Nations and with Premiership Rugby and, and EPCR, which is the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, uh, with our with our unions, with our shareholders. And it's way more collaborative. I mean, 100%. There, there is not... We're now, we now have a, a league's working group at World Rugby, which we didn't have before, so there's an official communication between World Rugby and the Leagues, which didn't exist before. Um, so, yes, it's it's a completely different kettle of fish
0: than it was before. So even coming out of COVID now, even with the undoubted challenges which the sport faces, the additional competition, which is coming from every single angle, you're optimistic? I am, because I think at the heart of it, uh,
1: whether that's at our final game in Cape Town you know storms winning in their backyard never won a major franchise title before you know to a you know, absolutely sell out knockout crowd or, or whether that's the international the weekends rugby is a great game it's a beautiful game it is artistic there's strategy there's physicality there's speed there's agility there is still room for on the pitch for players of all sizes and shapes colours, creeds, it is the most inclusive game in the world, um, but we need to do a better job of selling it, we need to do a better job of marketing it, we need to be, keep doing what we're doing to improve the safety of the players game. forward, we need to improve the women's game, you know, there's still lots to do, but the reason why I say so positive is at the heart of it, we've
0: got the best game in the world and what you're doing is obviously having an impact because you've announced BKT as sponsor of the the Northern Hemisphere within the URC Um, we're here at the announcement of Qatar Airways as as being a global sponsor it feels a lot bigger than it Mm. did when it was the Irish and the Scottish and the Welsh teams playing against each other
1: hopefully that's a sense of scale that we've tried to bring you know and, and we want our teams to be proud of the competition they play in, and we want it to be a best platform for them to uh, to aspire to whatever honours they want to aspire to play for their international team, but also for the Lions, win the Heineken Champions Cup. But I want them to number one, want to win the URC number one. If I was to say, if I was to sum it up, I say let's make this league great. And everything else will flow from that. If we make this league great, you'll be more competitive in the Heineken Cup. If you're more competitive in the Heineken Cup, you're more likely to be selected for your country and go on to Alliance Tour. Um, to me, it should start at the league. It should be about winning the league first and foremost. And maybe that hasn't always been the case before. And so we, we had to elevate the league. We had to invest in the league. We have to get the league returning more back
0: to them so they can say, "Yeah, actually, you're right." Let's, let's first and foremost let's focus on this. We started with your personal story of how you got into sport. I want to finish with a few personal questions as well, just to get to know Martin and I a little bit more. Um, first of all, your surname, Anaye. You've yeah. got a, a, a more exotic <laughs> background, I think, than many people might be aware of.
1: Yeah, my dad's Iraqi. Uh, my mum's Irish. I look a lot more like my mum than I do like my dad. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the Middle East, so we're in Doha here actually. We had you know, some of my early years were actually in Qatar, uh, in the UAE, UAE in, and then in, in Saudi Arabia. So um, yeah, n- not, not what people expect sometimes, but uh, yeah, I certainly look a lot like my, my, my mum.
0: Yeah. All, all the more interesting for that. Um, what was your earliest sporting memory?
1: Uh, probably FA Cup uh, in '88. Uh, I say I had, I had probably had memories, sporting memories before that, but my, the just most absolutely uh, fascinated by this FA Cup final, uh, Liverpool, Wimbledon, um, Dave Bessard save. And I, 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 the reason for that is I always wanted to be a goalkeeper. I was one of those weird kids who got uh, 101 great saves, not 101 great goals, on VHS or Betamax. So uh, I loved, I loved everything about goalkeeping. And uh, so for him to make that save against John Aldridge in the final, and then for Wimbledon to go and win, uh, that was my, that was the one that always stuck with me. About wow, this is insane! The old Wembley
0: with the twin, you know, the the, the uh, towers. Is it? Um, yeah. O- outside, yeah, so, uh, outside of rugby, if I could give you a, a ticket, first class ticket, VIP to a single sporting event around the world, what would it be?
1: It's uh, a good, good question. Actually, it's close to home. It's Wimbledon. I'm a big, big tennis fan. I played tennis when I was younger. Uh, yeah, so I loved. I, I, as I say, I loved all the sport, but uh, there's something so special about Wimbledon. And I was like every other kid with like. Three weeks of summer, you know. I wanted to be a tennis player, and that was it. No one could convince me of anything else. So. <laughs> and then it faded away again, so, as I forgot about tennis after Wimbledon ended. So, uh, so, but I still go back every year now. Yeah, love it.
0: I absolutely love everything about it. Great. Tell us, uh, tell give us a book recommendation, a book that you've read recently that you'd that you'd recommend from a leadership perspective yeah, or just yeah. from an entertainment one.
1: It's a good question uh the score takes care of itself there's this sort of story about bill walsh and the um, san francisco head coach um, he and he had this incredible f- phrase the score takes care of itself i.e. you look at all the details and you're methodical and you which is effectively the management style of kaizen which is continuous mm-hmm. improvement and just you know you're just into every single detail without trying to micromanage i think that's sort of the the flip side of that management style is you're seen as a micromanager again we don't want to be that either mm. but you know, it's just a fascinating book and mainly because i love the fact that he was a head coach and a general manager and yeah. he took that on and became one of the most successful franchises in the history of the game um he took that on because he knew that he could be better both
0: <laughs> and i love that breadth to it that's that was that's pretty cool not a micromanager but certainly somebody who had a very high degree of self-confidence we are here in doha i've got a table booked at a michelin star restaurant down in west bay looking out over the uh, over the gulf if i could invite three people to have lunch with you from the sporting world yeah. and maybe one from beyond sport dead yeah. or alive no restriction yeah. who would they be? George Best yeah I, had, I actually had the pleasure of
1: meeting George Best once mm. uh, in a pub would you imagine <laughs> um, and just and then my stories of my parents uh, met in Manchester and you know in, in that period of time when uh, when he was doing his thing for Manchester United so I think there was just something about that story which I which I love uh, and and his frailties and his insecurities and his the the flip side to his character you know i think that's that's a really a really, really really interesting i've also been completely obsessed with lots of people I have with muhammad ali yeah. uh, from rumble in the jungle to thrill in manila uh, when we were kings that documentary was just insanely good uh, i thought that was something that i you know very 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 few people in the world i, I just be completely in awe of, uh, and he, he would definitely, definitely, uh, be up there with that. Probably the last one, uh, would be actually would be Mark McCormack because I never met him. Um, but he, he inspired my life. I mean, generally, um, what they don't teach you at Harvard business school. Uh, again, another interesting book, uh, kind of changed changed my take on what i wanted to do in my life um so i'd love to just ask him a whole
0: bunch of questions okay and that last one one from outside of the world of sport from politics the arts
1: yeah uh, probably politics i'd say i think um i just it was a moment of hope for the whole world with barack obama but at the same time as my dad being from the middle east he made some pretty big errors and mistakes and so sort of great
0: hope to hope being dashed and I've just I'd find it fascinating to kick his brains for a while. That- sounds like a lunch which would extend into a dinner and in fact a very very long <laughs> cool, and very enjoyable sure. weekend wouldn't yeah, it be yeah, great sure. uh, let's see i'm we... not sure maybe they'd get on though to be fair no i'm not sure that we can organize it particularly <laughs> with the first three either but um martin and i look it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thanks very much for taking the time Thank for sport you. for business and our listeners and the very best of luck with your ambitions and your hopes for the sport of rugby many thanks i hope you enjoyed that conversation with martin it was a good look at the kind of thinking that has to go in behind the scenes in the sport. It's always about so much more than just what happens on the field of play. It would also, of course, be some lunch to actually attend alongside his chosen group of lunchtime companions. It was a real pleasure to chat to him. Our thanks to to you for listening and to Bank of Ireland for helping as our rugby partners to make what we do possible. You can keep up to date and catch up on all the latest news in our world on sportforbusiness.com. And I hope you'll join us again soon for the next in one of our Sport for Business podcast series. Thank you very much for listening.